Recently, really not long before I went to Israel, I went to the doctor for just a checkup. It was nothing big, no big deal, just, just a regular checkup. And so he asked me a series of questions as we were doing this checkup. He said, are, are you still keeping up with your blood pressure? And I kind of dropped my head. I said, no. And he said, okay. He said, are you still walking two miles a day, five days a week like you were? And I dropped my head. And I said, no. He said, how about your diet? Are you still drinking Pepsi and eating little Debbie cakes? I said, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm doing that one. And he said, okay, I've got an assignment for you. I've got a prescription for you. I want you to read a book called How Not to Die. You like that? I knew Donna would like that one. I haven't got the book yet, Donna, but I... <laughs> you'll let me borrow it. Okay. So I plan to get the book, but I did look the book up. It is a New York Times bestseller, How Not to Die. And the book really uh, has just caught a lot of people... It just really grabbed a lot of people, if you read the reviews and everything, about how to change your diet and reverse the disease that sometimes is due to what we eat and all that. But we live in a generation that has become obsessed with prolonging life and delaying death. I mean, I understand that. I'm for that too. But we really do. We live in a generation that is obsessed with prolonging life and delaying death. According to the Bank of America study that came out in May of this year, one of the biggest investment opportunities over the next decade will be in companies working to delay human death. According to this study, a market is expected to be worth at least $600 billion by 2025. So if you're looking for a place to park your money, that might be an option. But as I read my Bible, I see the same thing happening in Scripture, this idea of delaying death, prolonging life. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament of a man who came to his appointed time of death and he wanted to live longer. Imagine, just to set the context for you, imagine that if you knew you were going to die in a matter of days. Imagine if somebody with authority came to you and said, you're going to die in just two days. Imagine what that would feel like. And what if, let's just pretend for a moment, what if your only hope was to ask God to give you 2020 based on what you've done in 2019? How would you feel about your chances? If somebody said, oh, let me just tell you, you're going to die in two days. Your only chance is to ask God for more time based on what you did last year. Based on how you lived your life last year. How would you feel about your chances? That actually happened in a story in the Old Testament, to a man named Hezekiah. He was one of the great kings of the Old Testament. Let me tell you a little bit about him before we look at our text. One of the great kings of the Old Testament. Hezekiah, let me just give you the context. He was the 13th king of Judah. He was only 25 years old when he began his reign in 726 B.C. 25 years old. He had a father whose name was Ahaz. Long before Hezekiah became king, his father was king, and his father was one of the worst kings in Israel's history. I want to show you his family background. If you take God's word, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 16. We're looking now at Ahaz, Hezekiah's father. We'll get to Hezekiah in a moment. 1 Kings chapter 16, 
the first three verses. In the seventeenth year, Pekah son of Remaliah, Ahaz son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem sixteen years. Unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and watch this, and even sacrificed his son in the fire. That would be to the, to the pagan idol Moloch. He sacrificed his son uh, in the fire, following the detestable ways of the nation the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. So Ahaz was not a very good man. In fact, if you continue to read the story of Ahaz, we don't have the time to do that. If you read the story of Ahaz, you'll find out that he led the entire nation in idolatry. He led the entire nation to turn away from God. He led the entire nation to set up pagan idols. That This was a man who literally, physically, totally turned away from God and turned the nation of God's people to idols and idolatry. That was Ahaz. Hezekiah took the throne after his father Ahaz died. Hezekiah set about to undo what his dad had done. So let's read about that real quick. Chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. <clears throat> In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Skip down to verse 3. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, unlike his father. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father, and there it means his spiritual father, David, had done. He removed the high places, that is, those places of idolatry that his father had set up. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles, all part of pagan idolatry. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And watch what it says. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. Here was a man who, who really was turning an entire nation back to God. Let me give you a few examples if you're taking notes, just some bullet points of the, the kind of life he lived and the kind of reign he had as king. He reopened the temple in Jerusalem that his father had shut down and desecrated. He reopened the temple. He sanctified the temple vessels that had been desecrated by his father. He reinstated the Levitical priesthood. He restored proper worship in the city of Jerusalem. He brought back Passover as a national holiday. And then he took steps to fortify the city of Jerusalem from her enemies. One of the things he did, he, he had men dig a tunnel under the old city of David, 1,750 feet long, a tunnel that would carry water from outside the city, inside the city, to protect the city from the invaders. And we actually walked through that tunnel last week. It's still there to this day, the tunnel that Hezekiah made. But Hezekiah didn't stop there. King Hezekiah made sure that all the idols in the land were smashed. He made sure that every trace of pagan worship was abolished. He turned the nation back to God. He literally undid what his father had done. And this is how the Bible describes him in 2 Chronicles. Look on the screen 
and everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked. What's that next word? Wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. Good man. Godly man. Godly king. Turned a nation back to God. Yet in spite of all of that, when he was 39 years old, the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah with some bad news. Look in chapter 20. This is our text today. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. Prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you're going to die. You will not recover. Nothing focuses a person's priorities in life like learning you're about to die. This young king, who was 20 years younger than I am, this young king who had done so much to turn his nation back to the Lord, this young king got the word, you're going to die. You will not recover. We're not told what Hezekiah's sickness was, but it was clear that his life, his young life, was coming to an end. Hezekiah's story is a reminder to us all that our time on earth is limited, that you're not guaranteed X number of years. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to be born and there is a time to die. And barring the return of the Lord Jesus, we will all keep that appointment, that time to die. We don't know when that time is coming, but the Lord does. <clears throat> You've probably heard this old joke, but please laugh anyway if you have heard it. Uh, the man who really loved to play golf said to God one day, God, I just got to ask you, is there golf in heaven? God said, yes. I've got good news and bad news. Yes, there is golf in heaven. That's the good news. Bad news is you tee off tomorrow at 3 o'clock. We all have a tea time sometime, don't we? We just don't know when it is. And in the prime of life, Hezekiah was at the point of death. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. In the prime of life, Hezekiah was at the point of death. When you're at the young age of 39 and you hear that you have a terminal illness, it is heartbreaking news. I would say regardless of what age you are, it's heartbreaking news. But for Hezekiah, 39 years old, it was heartbreaking news. Let's see how he responds. Verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. With his face to the wall so that he could be alone with God. Hezekiah, God gave ground, Hezekiah gave God grounds for giving him more minutes on the clock and more pages on the calendar. And then the Bible says he wept bitterly. Fearful that his young life was indeed coming to an end. You know, repeatedly, Scripture reminds us that our lives are short compared to eternity. That regardless of how long you may be, how old you may be, that your life relatively is short compared to eternity. James 4 says it this way. Look what it says. While you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist 
that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Your life is short compared to eternity. Look at what the psalmist said, Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days. He's praying to the Lord. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. How few they are. And help us to spend them as we should. Help us, Lord, to spend them as we should. Now, if you're starting to think, I kind of wish Keith had stayed in Israel because this is depressing. I get that, but hang on. It's going to get better, I promise. But here's what you need to understand. God wants us to realize that our time on earth is limited so that we will live like each day matters. That's what he's talking about in this verse. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. How few they are compared to eternity. How few our days are and help us to spend them as we should. You don't know and I don't know how many days we have left. You don't know and I don't know how many years we have left. And the, the wise thing to do would be to live like each day matters. See, the reason some of you made poor decisions in 2019 is because you didn't live like each day matters. The reason some of you are hoping to do better this year is because you wasted so much of last year. Because you didn't live like each day matters. Hezekiah, this godly king, hears that his young life is about to come to an end. And he prays to God, and here's literally what he did. He gave God grounds for giving him more time on the clock, more pages on the calendar. Now here's an interesting thought. Could you ask God for more time? based on the way that you have used the time he's already given you? What Hezekiah did as he prayed. Hezekiah did not pray this way. He did not pray when he got the news, Oh God, remember that I'm the king. He did not pray, Oh God, remember how much money I have in the bank. No, when he came to that point of death, the thing that mattered most was his relationship with God. And he asked God for more time on the clock, more pages on the calendar, based on how he had used the time God had already given him. So based on Hezekiah's prayer, I want to give you three things to focus on in your walk with the Lord in 2020. Three things that you need to focus on and that I need to focus on, and hopefully we as a church family can focus on in 2020 that will make each day count. First of all, I would encourage you this year to focus on the consistency of your life. Look in verse 3, or starting verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Here's what he said. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully. You might want to notice that word faithfully. You may even want to underline that word faithfully. It has to do with being reliable and dependable. As he looked back on his young life of 39 years, he was able to pray to God and say, God, I want you to remember I have tried to be faithful to you. I've tried to live my life in a way that is reliable and where I am dependable. Now listen to this. His father Ahaz could not have prayed that prayer, could he? We read about his father Ahaz in chapter 16. He could not have prayed that prayer. And watch this. His son Manasseh, after Ahaz, or after Hezekiah would die, his son Manasseh would take over, and his son Manasseh was even worse than his grandfather Ahaz. You find that hard to believe, but let me go to chapter 21 real quick. I want to show you something. 
First few verses of chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. You got any 12-year-olds in your life you'd trust to be king? Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Verse 2, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father, Hezekiah, had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, the king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry host. He was actually worshiping the stars. All right, look what it says in verse 6. Like his grandfather, he sacrificed his own son in the fire, and then he went a step further. He practiced sorcery and divination and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And I say to you, you don't have to come from a good family to have a good relationship with the Lord. Hezekiah had a father that was a pagan, and he had a son that turned out to be even worse. But Hezekiah walked with God faithfully. You can too. Just because your parents are not walking with the Lord doesn't mean you can't. Just because your children may not be walking with the Lord right now doesn't mean you shouldn't. You can walk with the Lord faithfully because every person has an individual commitment and relationship to the Lord Jesus. So Hezekiah prayed, on the basis of what I've done in the past, that is the consistency of my life, give me more time, God, in the future. Could you ask God that? If you had to ask God for, on the basis of the consistency of the way I've lived in 2019, give me 2020. On the basis of how faithful I have been to you in 2019, God, would you give me 2020? Too often, we're just the opposite of that. We're not faithful, but we're inconsistent. We are we're hot and cold, we start and stop, we're in, we're out, we're committed, then we're not committed, we're here, then we're not here, and and things begin to distract us, things get our attention, and before you know it, you're not walking with the Lord faithfully like you once did. Let me give you an example. Last week when we were flying back, we were flying back on Lufthansa, I'd never been on Lufthansa airline before, and we're flying back, and uh, had a stop in, in Frankfurt, Germany, and then we're flying back. And, and on that flight, uh, as the stewardess was coming down giving us drinks, you know, I heard her say something about Pepsi. Got my attention. The only airline I know that serves Pepsi is JetBlue. And so I thought, wow, Lufthansa serves Pepsi. That's awesome. And so she came to me and she said, sir, would you like something to drink? I said, yes, ma'am. Do you have Pepsi? She said, we do. I said, great, I'll have a Pepsi. And then she poured it in front of me, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, she was pouring a Coke in my cup. And she set it down in front of me. Now, I'm not going to be mean to the lady. I'm not going to be rude to her. She doesn't know my, my thoughts about drinking Coke, and I'm not going to go get into all of that. So she put a Coke on, on my tray, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And about that time, as I was trying to figure out, Mildred Smith was sitting on the same row, my, myself and then my wife Lisa and then Mildred and Mildred said, Keith, get me one too. 
I thought, that's what I'll do with it. I handed it to Mildred like that. And I said to Lily, I'm just going to give her mine. She said, okay. And I gave it to Mildred. And I looked around and she had set another one on my tray. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out, what am I, I'm not going to drink this. What am I going to do with it? And Lisa was asleep. And so I reached over and I undid her tray and set it down. And I had to put my Coke on her tray. And I sat there for a moment. I thought, I, that's good. And then I realized... That's not going to accomplish anything. we still got to deal with it. Plus, she's going to wake up. She doesn't know her tray's down. She's going to knock it over. And So I got it, and I put it back on my tray. And I literally, I sat there, and I stared at it, and I thought, just drink it. It's a Coke. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And so I had a genius idea. I got up, closed my tray. I got up. I carried it to the bathroom, and I poured it down the drain. Then I, when my wife woke up, I told her about it. She said, please don't tell people how weird you are. <laughs> now, listen, listen. I'm not weird. I'm consistent. I didn't drink Coke last year. I'm not going to drink Coke this year. And I'm not going to drink Coke five years from now. I'm going to drink Pepsi. If you, unless I read that book, Donna, and I stop drinking Pepsi. I, I'm going to be drinking Pepsi whenever you see me. If they have Pepsi, I'm drinking. If they have Coke, I'm drinking water. Just the way it is. That's consistent. And then it hit me as I thought about that. Man, I want to be that way with the Lord too. I want to be that way with the Lord where people know Keith. They know that guy is, he's consistent. He's the same when he's in the pulpit or when he's out of the pulpit. He's the same whether he's in Israel or whether he's in Powdersville. He's walking with the Lord Jesus no matter where it is or when it is. He's consistent in his walk with the Lord Jesus. 2020, that'd be a good goal for all of us, wouldn't it? Hezekiah, young guy, about to die. He said, Lord, I would just ask you, would you remember how faithful I have walked with you? So, as you think about focusing on the consistency of your life, Secondly, I would also ask you to focus on the intensity of your life. In verse 3, he continues his prayer. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion talks about his intensity. That, that God, I, I wasn't just consistent day by day, but I, there was an intensity in my walk with you. That my walk with you was not a peripheral matter. It was not just a trivial thing in my life. It was not just something I did on Sundays. But my walk with you, there was an intensity to my relationship with you and my walk with you each day. Now I hear that there's a ball game tomorrow night. I see some orange out there today. And I hear people say this phrase, all in. And I got nothing against that. In fact, I will say publicly, I hope Clemson wins, and I'm cheering that they do. I really am. I, I, and I got nothing against the phrase all in. I would just say to the Clemson fans and the South Carolina fans and the Tennessee fans and the Georgia fans and the whoever fan fan you are, Do you have the same intensity about your relationship with the Lord that you do about your sports team? And if there is anything greater, whether it's a sports team or a hobby or whatever, maybe it's deer hunting, you know, whatever it is that you're really all in for, if you're more intense in that area of your life than you are in your relationship with the Lord, that has become your idol. 
In 2020, wouldn't it be good if individually and as a church family we said, there needs to be an intensity about my relationship with Jesus. Wholeheartedly devoted to Him. Not just a Sunday morning I go to church religion, but a wholehearted devoted to Jesus. You can be all in for Clemson and enjoy it tomorrow night. How about trying to be all in for Jesus in 2020 as well? The intensity of your life. Hezekiah said, God, you know that your will has not been a casual matter for me. I have served you with wholehearted devotion. If you had to ask God to give you 2020 based upon your devotion to Him in 2019, would you have a case to make? I want to say that one more time. If you had to ask God to give you one more year, to give you 2020, based upon your devotion to Him in 2019, would you have a case to make? And then the third thing I would encourage us all to focus on, the first one was focus on the consistency of your life. The second, focus on the intensity of your, of your walk with the Lord. And the third is to focus on your integrity of your life. Here's how he says it in verse 3. Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and, watch this, and have done what is good in your eyes. Hezekiah said, others have seen outwardly the consistency and the integrity of my life, but God, in that secret place where only you can see, I have done what is good in your eyes. Probably many of us could ask God for more minutes on the clock and more pages on the calendar based on what others see in us. But it's quite another thing to say, God, I've done what's good in your eyes. I've done what's right and what's good in those places where no one else sees and no one else knows about. There's been an integrity in my life. There's been an integrity in my walk with you so that in those places that nobody else knows about and in those times that nobody else sees, I have done what is right in your eyes. There is an integrity in his life. Is there an integrity in your life? In those places that no one else knows and no one else sees except the Lord. There's an integrity there that you are walking with the Lord Jesus every day. Now thankfully, the story of Hezekiah has a happy ending. Verse 4. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him and go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, This is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. I will add 15 years to your life, and I'll deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare poultice of figs. And they did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? In other words, listen to this. They didn't have, you couldn't go get a CAT scan to see if you're cancer free. They didn't have the modern tests that that they could find out, hey, you don't have to worry about it anymore. The prophet just said, God said he's going going to heal you. So Hezekiah has a very valid question. How can I know that's true? You just told me I'm going to die. Now you told me God's going to heal me. So how can I know that what you say is true? 
Look at the text. Verse 9, Hezekiah, or Isaiah answered, This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or shall it go back ten steps? In other words, the shadow of the sun. He said, I want you to look outside your door there. You see the shadow on the steps? Do, do, do you, would you prefer that the shadow move down ten steps or the shadow move up ten steps? That's the way the Lord's going to show you. Verse 10, it's a simple matter for the shadow to go forward 10 steps, Hezekiah said. Rather, have it go back 10 steps. And Hezekiah said, listen, it's just natural progression. I can lay here and watch the shadow go down 10 steps. That doesn't prove anything. If you really want to prove to me that God's going to heal me, let the shadow go back up the steps. Verse 11, then the prophet Isaiah called upon the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the 10 steps it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. Verses 4 through 6, if you study it very much at all, you'll find out that God added 15 years to his life and he added more years to his life, or more life to his years. God gave him 15 more years. Now, would you look up here at your pastor in the last four minutes? I want to tell you something. Does God always do that? Obviously not. Obviously not. God is sovereign, and he has the right to grant us more time or to bring our lives to an end and call us home. I've got to be honest with you, I was hesitant to preach this message today because I know some of your stories. And I recognize that for some of you, this is not just a story in the Bible. This is your story. This is your struggle. You or a loved one are struggling emotionally and physically with some very bad news. You or a loved one are facing what could be a terminal illness. And I recognize that that is a very hard thing. So, if that's the case for you, I want to close by giving you four words of hope based on this text. I really want to give you four words of hope. The first one is in verse 3. And I want you to understand the first word of hope is, is this. You have the opportunity to talk to the Lord of all of life. When Hezekiah got the news, the bad news, I know you're only 39, but prepare your house in order. You're about to die. You will not recover. I want you to notice the very first thing he did. Verse 3. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. And notice his capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, signifying the Lord of all life, the Lord Almighty, the one who is sovereignly in charge of everything. Hezekiah recognized he had the opportunity to speak to the Lord of all of life about the struggle he was having in his life. And may I say to you, so do you. If you're dealing with the, with the scary thought of what could be, what might be, and you're struggling in this time of treatment, and let me remind you, you have the opportunity to speak to the Lord of all of life. Number two, second word of hope is this. It's okay to cry and let your tears express your heart. The end of verse 3 simply says, Hezekiah wept bitterly. You don't have to put on the front that everything's okay and that you got it all together and you're a super Christian and you can handle this. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to God and he wept bitterly. And that's okay. In fact, it might even be healthy for you. Word of hope number three is this. I love this one. God hears our prayers 
and he sees our pain. In verse 5, look what it says in verse 5. Go back and Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Isn't that a beautiful thought to think that God has heard your prayers? God has seen your tears? Do you have a God in heaven who cares for you like that? And I can explain why you got the diagnosis you've got but I can promise you there is a Lord in heaven who hears your prayers and He sees your tears. And the fourth word of hope that I would give you is this. And I say it without hesitation. God can and does heal. Verse 5. It ends by saying, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will heal you. I will heal you. Now listen to me, especially if you're going through something like this. Listen to me carefully. There is no guarantee that he will, but there is hope that he can. You need to write that down. There's no guarantee that he will, but there is hope that he can. For all of us, This text ought to cause us to pause and to ponder. Could we give God grounds for giving us another year? Could we say, God, because of the way I've lived my life in 2019, I'm asking you to give me 2020. Because of the the consistency of my life, because of the intensity of my walk with you, because of my... The, the way that I have been faithful before you, my wholehearted devotion, God, because of, of the way that I've served you, based on what I've done in 2019, God, would you give me more time on the clock, more pages on the calendar? Here's what I know about you and I know about me. When you get to the end, whether it's 39 or 99, you want to be able to say this, you want to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I finished the the race. I've kept the faith. And can I say to you, that will not happen by accident. That will only happen when there is a a consistency in your walk with the Lord and there is intensity in your walk with the Lord and there is an integrity in your walk with the Lord. People who can really say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, are people who are consistent every day in their walk with Jesus, and they're really intense, they're all in in their walk with Jesus, wholeheartedly devoted to Him, and there's an integrity that they walk with Him even when nobody else is watching. I think that would be a great goal for you, and a great goal for me, and a great goal for our church, that in 2020, Let's see if we can have a consistency in our walk with Jesus. Let's make sure that there's an intensity in our walk with Jesus that we're all in. And let's make sure there's an integrity in our walk with Jesus that we're living the life we claim to live even when nobody else is watching. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful for this word of instruction and this word of hope. I pray for any dear brother or sister and they're struggling with the same news that Hezekiah struggled with. I pray that you would give them hope that you are with them, you see their tears, you know their pain. 
And may you bring healing to their body. May you bring hope to their soul. And for all of us this year, may we live 2020 better than we did 2019. May we strive to know you, know, to know you more and to make you known in this community and to the nations. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.